ซูกิโนเอพิโซดวาฟอนิเมชั่นทูคันทรีโรนิโยอะทีซีซิกิโอซาบรามิซูไอยานาโตะมาจิกะตาปอดิโอคาสุโตะนิชูนิงกูชิ
Also, while I have your attention, because I know how you weeds act, these are five, my five favorite anime couples. This is a personal list. I never considered putting them in order, or an actual rank, it's just the way your tailor wrote them. These are just the ones I'll always come back to, like your favorite level in a video game. Always something to have, a thick blunt in a time available, to fall in love with the characters and watch their story one more time. All anime fans are going to have a few, and if you feel there are some that I would like to smoke and get invested in, feel free to drop your favorites in the comments down on the Fat Dad's page at Anchor. Now since hopefully your teller has made all of that clear to you, feel free to have a smoke or two and forget all of that sensible shit I just told you. Well now, all that pre-gaming's out the way, and we can get back to that serious smoke now. Go ahead, get yourself comfortable. Roll another good one up. My blunt is thick and, and my mic is on. I've got none but time tonight. And hopefully so do you. Y'all have nowhere to be, right? Right? Well, doesn't really matter, now does it? <laughs> Go ahead and carry us off right quick, Hyde. And starting off our list at number five. Well, I forgot I haven't started anything. Oh, let's gonna start with our first name, first couple on this list. We're gonna have, well, let's go. Vegeta and Bulma. <laughs> now they're talking Dragon Ball Z here. One of the first anime I've ever watched, and I can be pretty sure that statement goes for quite a few of us listening here as well. Still love it to this day. Hell. Most of the anime tropes I've become familiar with are still being used to this day. I got familiar with through watching Dragon Ball Z. Episode long monologues, Dragon Ball Z. Ass weapons that took most of the season, Dragon Ball Z. Walking black air forces with a pair of, with a heart of gold deep down. Once again, for the Patrick, Dragon Ball Z. Says the pattern yet? Yeah, that's right. We're going to start this off by celebrating one of the most unlikely and beloved couples in all of anime, Vegeta and Bulma. Not Goku and Chi-Chi. Nah, nah. Goku may be everyone's favorite fighter and barometer for whether your favorite superhero is actually as powerful as you think he is. Yet when it comes to his marriage, comes to marriage and fatherhood, Vegeta is, a, is over 9,000. Easy joke? Yes, it is. Do I give a good damn? Absolutely not. 
We have as much pride as the Prince of the Saiyans. You need a woman just as prideful and as willful to match you. And Bulma is the perfect compliment to her man. My favorite facet outside of how reluctantly romantic Vegeta can be sometimes is how easily Bulma can keep him in line. Shocks the fuck out of the rest of the Z fighters as well. It's cute to see Vegeta back down when he knows he's gotten out of pocket with her. It's endearing to see a Prince of Saiyans every now and then get punked by his wife, whose temper even catches him off guard. Someone that's equally as prideful and as passionate as him. And Vegeta loves that shit. He may not act he may act like none of that matters to him. He may not as be as affectionate as he would like to be since he considers it embarrassing. That pride is a mother sometimes, let me tell you. It really is. He may come off as cold towards her at times. Yet if you've ever seen them argue, it's like foreplay to them. If you really want to see the burst of Vegeta, lay a hand on his wife. Trust me when I tell you that the last few words you may hear before being made into a pack Shenron couldn't bring back will usually end with my Bulma! Yeah, that was terrible. My apologies to my roommate who probably just heard me screaming for no reason. To think that this relationship went from Bulma fearing him, to hating him, to loving him after not being afraid of him, to having trunks, and to finally getting married and making it official. It is indeed a beautiful thing to watch this man obsessed with attaining as much power as possible without having a reason for living other than that. Bulma gave him something more and made him a better Saiyan. Sorry, Kakarot, but the good prince has got you this time around. He has you this round. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Now let's move on to the next one. Oh, this will be fun. Because we're going through unlikely couples um, have a badass someone to control a pit bull's crowd to someone finding them a real one. Now then, where are you at? And here we go. In folktale time, ladies and gentlemen, for the second one here. For the second one, we have Naruto Uzumaki and Hinata Hyuga. Now you're about to learn something about folktale, ladies and gentlemen. Someone who wants to serve in their own way. If you're out there, we're looking for you. Fucking ads, I swear. Let's have a talk. Folk time, ladies and gentlemen. Let's have a talk about one in particular called the Red Freight of Fate. All of those looking at me and wondering what the fuck I'm talking about right now, allow me to elaborate a little bit. The Red Thread of Fate is a tale in both Chinese and Japanese folklore in which the gods will tie an invisible red string around the ankles in Chinese lore or around the little finger in Japanese. Japanese, around men and women who are destined to be together. Both of them tie together regardless of time, place, and cir or circumstance. And while the cord, much like the bond between the two people tied together, may stretch beyond limits or get tangled, it will never break. The more you smoke, I mean the more you know. Now before you uh, now before you bother to ask why I would bring up such an old myth as this, and don't you tell it for a moment, shut up. Seriously, shut the fuck up and listen. It will all be could come as clear as you with clean eyes. 
Let's take a little deeper look about how to feature Hokage in one of anime's best and most genuine versions of the phrase, Be Better. Naruto Uzumaki Someone who could have chosen to take the, take the path of least resistance and chosen not to give a fuck about the world around him, when they really didn't give him a reason to. But no. He chose to take all of that disrespect and disdain from his peers and never let it make him a bitter person. He just refuses to not be true to himself and show love to those who have endured the same type of hurt as he has. As previously stated, his peers made it rather easy, easy for him to take that path. Take the other path. I mean, an entire village scorned and refused to acknowledge his presence for something sealed inside him that he was barely aware was there. There, that messed up their village, you know, considering he was a baby. You know, let's not forget that little detail. And that demerit to not even let him know why you were disrespecting him. Never mind the fact he had to deal with a team consisting of some emo fuck or all of his siblings more interesting and powerful than him. Not to mention their pawn shop for swiping eyes and his groupie whom he ended up marrying and having a child with later on. Sakura was a fucking groupie half the time that was just cringe as fuck. I legit wanted a jitsu to shut her the fuck up every time she came on the screen the same time Sasuke did. That's right, I said it. Sake, Sasuke ended up marrying his biggest fan. Is it an oversimplification of their relationship? Perhaps. Do I once again give half a good fuck? Once again, absolutely not. Naruto, on the other hand, found himself a real one. Oh, that's right. We can't talk about the other one. Talk about one end of this crimson thread without discussing whose finger is attached to the other end. Hinata, Hy Hinata Hyuga. Former heiress to the Hyuga clan whose father deemed her too weak and timid to lead, Hinata was kind and compassionate much to her detriment at times. So kind she was afraid of offending anybody and the more the family tried to get that habit out of her, the worse it just got. Ripping, it, ripping her confidence away and causing her family to look at her as a lost cause. Anyone else in this situation would have perhaps given up and not bothered giving a fuck or anyone about anything or anyone. Family last on the list. Last on the list. Another one who witnessed just how cruel this world could be, even when you have your family there to supposedly love to look after you. She was able to look past what the world thought of Naruto and saw the real him. She fell in love with the man who inspired her to never lose faith in herself and become a better and stronger person. It's an, it's a, this is a couple you can't help but root for and want to see them make, make it to their happily ever after. They had a rough hand dealt to them, to the both of them, yet despite that hand dealt to them, they chose not to fold on the game of life and came out of, kind of, came out of it through exams, wars, character arcs, and all the losses in between and on the other end, a much stronger and happier couple. As stated earlier, while the thread may get stretched beyond our limited or tangled, it will never break. That crimson thread is never wrong when it comes to anime romances. And this is one of the times you can actually look at two characters and just go to yourself, you love to see it. You really, really do love to see it. Let me get a good bowl hit here while we got time.
And now then, while we're on the subject of... And now for a third couple we brought up to the list tonight. Inuyasha and Kikyo. <laughs> now, what was I saying once the previous uh, previous entry about playing the hand you're dealt? <laughs> now then, if you've been watching anime long enough and gotten invested in enough anime relationships and couples... You learn that you take a gamble in doing so, especially when it comes to the outcome of said romance. You accept a risk that your favorite anime couple may not always make it. You come to terms with the fact that not every anime love story ends in a happily ever after. And sometimes, if there even is one, it may not be immediate. It may take some time for the ending of an anime story to be completed. And sometimes... It's not always a crimson thread that determines two lovers' fates. It can come in many forms. For example, perhaps a tragic love song. <clears throat> and here is where matters get complicated. Not for these two. Not completely. But for your teller. <clears throat> Okay, full disclosure for a moment here. I honestly wasn't even going to place a couple from this anime on this list. Not in, no, not in. Hold on, hold on. Before all you Inuyasha fans out there bring out your blades and bows and arrows and all that beautiful shit, hear me out for a moment. Indulge me. Now then, when it comes to Inuyasha, I will say I'm a bit conflicted. One main issue I have is once I came to the conclusion that one of the main romances is between a half demon and two versions of its ex two versions of its ex girlfriend. It's a bit tough to look at it any other way. Going with Moroku and Sango would be the two obvious choice, as well as the fact I have another list in mind for those two. Sashomaru and Ren are an absolutely not. Would rather have had Sashogaru and Kagura actually get together and see how far they could have gone. But once again, that's just let my imagination run away with me like Koga with jewel shards in his legs. Which also leads me to my other main complication with being that. While I can find many other lists to derive inspiration from other lists for this anime, such as siblings, villains, side characters, music from the soundtrack, etc., etc., and so on... Couples and relationships were a little bit low on the totem pole when it came to this anime. Yet, it would also be asinine of me to not acknowledge an affection traveling across time after going on and on about this. Also, we will also disregard four young ladies threatening me with a windscarf I didn't at least drop a line or two about a tragic love song that started this futile fairy tale. My nieces, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> now then like most tragic love songs we start with two people who cannot be more different in any other every facet of their lives yet never more like to anyone else in the world let's start with a half demon named Inuyasha born from a union of the great dog general Toga and a human princess Iazoi who became of who because of his bloodlines 
was shunned and feared by humans and considered an embarrassment to our to peer embarrassment to pure blooded demons. A sentiment his own brother shares about him, mind you. Which made him a target for harassment and potential death by both. A Hanyu who had to live rely on the kindness of the feudal area and the sweet fuck all that will get you in that era. Developing his hardened nature from his experience with human and demon alike, Inuyasha made up his mind that he would be no one's victim. One who believed the only way to survive was to get stronger. The only, only person he would be able to trust and depend on was him and him alone. <laughs> and somewhere on this path, he ran into Kikyo. A young priestess first slain demons around the area. She became tasked one day with purifying and protecting the Shiko no Tama. A great responsibility for such a young princess. Yet she felt she was up to the task. One day, while working with future dark priestess Tsubaki, Kikyo was warned that the only way to achieve true power in her line of work was to rid herself of all emotion. And somewhere in the midst of that, she curses Kikyo that so if she ever falls in love, she will be met with a violent death. Not one to let a hater get the better of her, Kikyo remained undeterred in her task and saw no need to fear, seeing as she had no intention of ever falling in love. Never mind the fact she also sent Tsubaki's snake right into her eye. We're going to overlook that part for another time, another list. While she may have taken on her new task and responsibility head on, she sometimes longed for some of the simple pleasures she had to sacrifice in order for a job much bigger than herself and her own desires. And as this song starts to get good, two of these two opposing forces running parallel to each other would meet more than once over the sacred jewel. Inuyasha desiring its power to become a great demon, and while Kikyo had him dead to rights on multiple occasions, it couldn't bring, him, bring herself to finish him, much to Inuyasha's chagrin and curiosity. It came to a head one day when Kikyo confessed her feelings and problems to Inuyasha, and they came to understand they both are not as different as they first presumed they were. A bond built by the desire to both just be ordinary and free of the hand that dealt to them. A love that developed slowly, but mainly with the thought that they would sacrifice everything that made them who they were in order to just be ordinary people in the world, together. And as a viewer, you really wanted to see them get that opportunity. And then also as a viewer, you have to remember that this love song of destiny has the word tragic before all of that. There was just one thing stopped, one little thing in the way of a new beginning for these two. And it came in the form of a bandit named Onigumo. One who was obsessed with having Kikyo for himself, yet the handicap of being completely fucked up beyond recognition, and having the object of his desire tend to him. With all the avaricious ambition in his heart, he had the misfortune of having a spider demon offer him a deal, in order to give him mobility and strength as long as he sacrificed his body to a horde of demons. Thus the shapeshifter Naraku was born. And somehow the desire for Pikio became a desire to see the jewel glow with as much malice as humanly possible. In order to get a good start on that glow, Naraku went out of his way to play off old deep buried insecurities, Another chicanery to convince these two that the other had betrayed them. Inuyasha seeing a disguised Naraku. Naraku disguised Kikyo shooting him with arrows by the sacred tree and disparaging him. 
sending him into an emotional spiral and towards the jewel. Kikyo, on the other hand, fell to the grievous wounds inflicted by a disguised Naraku and leaving both lovers hurt and wondering if the other's love and intentions were all real or not. All of which reaches their climax when Inuyasha is in the sacred jewel, Inuyasha and sacred jewel in hand, gets shot down with a searing ceiling arrow to a sacred tree, leaving in a state of slumber but alive. Kikyo, on the other hand, succumbs to her wounds and in order orders her younger sister to burn her body along with the Shikan jewel so no one else may be corrupted by it. Tragic love song? Indeed it is. However, remember what I said earlier about happy endings not happening right away. Yet five centuries later in the modern times, those lingering feelings of love and wanting to be ordinary returned in the form of Kikyo's reincarnated form, Kagome Higurashi. And starting from there, in a well that takes her 50 years ago after the events of Kikyo's end, this affection was determined to see it through until it got the ending it truly desired and deserved. Yet you can always catch yourself wondering what might have been had circumstances been different. It's a love that can catch you off guard with how fondly you remember it, like the Fukai Mori ending at 3 in the morning, that Bokitachiwa will catch you from a deep, wake you from a deep sleep and catch you off guard. But you'll smile to yourself and remember a fun time, lovely time, even if it was tragic at first. Just not as tragic as it's going to be if my nieces don't get their blades out of my face and away from my microphone. Sorry about that mic trouble. But as I was saying, we're going to go with Gnosuke and Obero. To the one I love, prepare to die. Now, we, you can't exactly have a premise like that and expect the end between the two love interests in said story to be a peaceful end. Be one with a peaceful end. Beautiful in its symbolism, perhaps. Peaceful? Yeah, absolutely not. Sometimes as a viewer, you really want the two in love to overcome every odd imaginable in order to see them finally at least have their day in the sun. Fortunately, you can also see that also sometimes the stars are written in their favor. You can see that as much as you wish for them to have their happy ending, you also come to realize that the inevitable can only be delayed for so long. You start to get that feeling that there really is no other way for it to end other than in tragedy for everyone involved. No one will make it out alive and there really is no victor in the end. And only when everything is gone and the last sword sheathed and the last body falls, that the only way to win the war was to never participate in the first place. It was a lesson that took 400 years for two clans to learn. Let's take a look at Gnosuke and Obero. Two heirs of, to two heirs of the respective ninja clans, Gnosuke of the Koga Majidani and Obero of the Iga Subagagare, are both in love and wish to be married in order to ensure a lasting peace between their respective clans. Both clans have been forced into a treaty by the first Hattori Hanzo in order to keep them from slaughtering each other. And while the treaty kept everyone from fighting, doesn't mean there was actually peace between the two factions. Generations of resentment of host and hostility tamped down by a treaty because who could imagine what could happen if the treaty were ever broken? Actually, 
the Shogun had to, the Shogun at the time could imagine. It all started with a demonstration of each ninja's respective abilities in Sunpu. Requested by the Shogunate, Iyasu Tokugawa, leaders and respective grandparents to the main characters, Dunjo of the Koga and Oga of the Iga, have a demonstration of their ninja clan's respective abilities. And while you watch the battle between their representatives, you can feel the unease and tension between the two opponents, but none more than with Danjo and Ogin. Looking more into the two, you come to realize they had the same love and plans as their grandchildren, but were hope both were hopelessly in love and were willing to marry to end the hostility within their clans. However, one night, the Iga were attacked by Ob no Nobunaga Oda's army, and the Koga, whom unbeknownst to Janjo, were, un were ordered not to obey him and to kill any Iga that remained. Seeing her people slaughtered and refusing to see her former lover as anything but her enemy at that moment, Ogun attempts to attack Danjo as he walks away from her. Danjo deflects the attack, and in that instant, all the love, all the, love the two of them had built had destroyed, was destroyed to its foundation. <laughs> Which brings us to this moment in Sunpu. With a shogunette looking to find a way to decide who the next shogun without, would be without dropping a, spilling a drop of his people's blood, he had come up with quite the plan. He would exploit the lingering hostilities of the two clans and would use their hatred for each other in order to find his successor. How so? Ayasu asked if the two clans were willing to abandon their peace treaty and fight to the death in order to determine the next shogun. And without hesitation, the two leaders agreed to the terms. Playing the names of their top two ninja on a scroll, the Koga and the Iga were tasked with a battle to the death. The last clan standing would determine the next shogun and receive favor for years to come. Disregarding, of course, the fact that their grandchildren and heirs to their respective clans are also like them, in love and are about to marry in order to hop into hostilities. Or so they thought. Genasuke and Oboro end up being the reluctant leaders of their clans once the war begins. Both of them were open to ending the bloodshed and maintaining the peace for both of their clans. However, once their treaty got once that treaty got lifted, old hostilities that have been held back for generations were now allowed to be acted on. And all the pleas and all the pleas for peace from one another from either one of them fell on deaf ears. With both of their names being on the respective list, it was only a matter of time before either one of them would have to face each other, whether they wanted it to happen or not. Neither one wished to kill the other, and quite frankly, they were, they were the wild card for both their respective clans, with their eyes pretty much being able to negate the other's attack. And while Ganasuke can take out the play at least once, then it may just come down to death for his beloved, Obero never shook at her love for Ganasuke. No matter what, what hostilities or other peers held for the Koga, she refused to falter in her love for him, going so far as to willingly blind herself to ensure that she wouldn't harm him. While the respective clans fall in a clash of death to the session, their leaders refused to fight each other. To the end, they refused to fight each other. At the end, when it came down to the two of them, Obero... 
Oro takes her own life and requests for Ganasuke to follow her into the afterlife. Ganasuke is showing the Shogunate that their lives meant nothing more than communicable gain. Showing the Shogunate that he was offended that their lives meant nothing more than political game to him, declares the Iga the winner before obliging his beloved's request. Ogun and Dangjo took each other's lives. Oboro and Gadasuke took their own lives and walked into the afterlife together willingly. The end for these two being so bittersweet, knowing that so much was working against them to assure that the peaceful resolution they were looking for was merely never going to happen. That there was only one way for the war, for the war to ever end, with no victor at all. Oh, there will be a new Shogun, but for the Koga and Iga, there was no victory. Knowing that these two found the peace and love they were looking for only in death, it's quite the beautiful and brutal shot to your heart that it needs to be. For those who haven't taken a look at the story of these two, I would take a look into it. Just don't look into the either one of their eyes, though. Trust me. If you know, you know. <laughs> and moving along, one more. To say we saved the best for last, I don't know, but I'll let y'all decide that one. Because let's see who we talking about next for the finale. Ah, yes. Here we go. Who bring in? That is. Yeah, hold on. Humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. To obtain, something of equal value must be lost. That is alchemy's first law of equivalent exchange. And while that may have been what been many alchemists absolute when it comes to their preferred science, there is no limit to what these alchemists will give in order to find the answers they are looking for. Yet I guarantee you that no alchemist has, no, has the answer for the following question. How do you transmute a love with your day one? Ah oh, yes, you didn't think I was going to go through a list without acknowledging my favorite down since day one couple. Winry Rockbell and Edward Elric are the absolute best example of marrying your day one. For those who don't know, your day one is the one who came up with you since, well... Day one. Rather self-explanatory, don't you think? <laughs> they know you since they were little. They know your likes and dislikes. They know you. The actual you. They love to stand by you no matter how much you may try to push them away. They keep you humble when you start getting too big for yourself. One able to simultaneously knock you off your high horse and make sure you don't hurt yourself too badly when you come back down to earth. They remind you of whom you actually are and that they still fuck with you for it. And quite frankly, if there are any Ds that didn't describe Winry to a T, please just show me where I've missed. Go ahead and point to me on the screen. Go right ahead. And when you lived a life of one, Edward Elric, Edward Elric, the full metal alchemist, one could ill afford not to have one such as Winry to have in your corner. It all started from childhood. While Ed and his brother Alphonse were becoming obsessed with the science of alchemy, Winry was a childhood friend, always tagging along, and while not, while not quite getting their fascination with alchemy, she respected it all the same. Not like Winry was just sitting around not having her own hobbies of obsession of her own. Winry's fascination, you may ask? Automail and the mechanics that came along with prosthetics taught by her grandmother Panako. 
a highly talented automobile mechanic and surgeon. Don't ask how she's like three foot tall now. I, I, we don't know. Two differing forms of science that would come together in an avalanche of tragedy. Beginning with the death of Trisha Elric. The loss of their mother had a devastating effect on the boys and drove the two of them to attempt one of the most taboo of alchemic laws. Attempting to bring back the bread dead back to life and the consequences, consequences were indeed dire. In the midst of attempting to transmute them on their back, a rebound occurred, bringing about catastrophic results to Ed and Al. Edward losing his leg first while Al his entire body. After sacrificing his arm in order to soul bind his brother to a suit of armor, the brothers end up living with the Rockvilles. Driven by guilt and the desire to get their original bodies back, Ed volunteered to endure the agony of getting an arm and leg fitted out of auto mail and gave himself one year to get himself in shape. Burning his family house to the ground and joining the military as a state alchemist, Ed left his hometown and his other family behind for the time being as he and Al worked search for a way to get their original bodies back. <laughs> Not Ed. With the travels of being a state alchemist for Ed, comes quite a bit of trauma as well. The real world hit our young alchemist quite early, and at times with as much blunt force as possible. For someone whose main fascination was with the science of alchemy, he was given quite the lesson on how it, would be, how it could be corrupted for selfish means throughout his tours, and some of them were able to break full metal down to his being. Let's be honest. Especially if you know, they, if you know one of them, you know. And when the strain of work in the field breaks both his mind and his body, him and Al will always head back home in order to get his automail and his attitude adjustment. Whether it be with a kind word or a wrench upside the head, Winry is an invaluable well of support, both mechanically and emotionally. Whether it's assuaging Ed's guilt complex over his brother or attempting to kill him over being too reckless with his automail, Winry is always there for Ed and Al. With a bubbly personality countering its overly cynical yet well-meaning personality, it is one of the most organic and complex relationships to watch because you can watch and just know you pretty much watched it from the beginning. Throughout its trials and tribulations, it was always good to know that there was always something, someone somewhere shining a light and guiding them home to where his heart was. Back to one who was always there from the start was willing to endure all that and came with his life as a state alchemist. They both went through their trials and traumas, yet they always stood by each other and endured them together. Not always close together, but far away, but still together. Ed may have had his innocence in his childhood, taken from when he had joined the state alchemy program, yet Winry was always there to make sure he never lost himself. To make sure that the man she grew up with and the man she grew to love never forgot who he was, where home was, and where his heart belonged. You quite frankly cannot transmute a love like that, but you can watch it and enjoy it. They stood by each other since day one, and then they end up as one until the end of their days. That is what we call, ladies and gentlemen, an equivalent exchange. <laughs> And quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, that makes five. 
we hopefully enjoyed, hopefully everyone enjoyed listening to me ramble on for about a good hour, 45 minutes or so. Hopefully I didn't bore you that much. <laughs> hopefully ramble on about God knows how long about anime couples. I may have left out a few things here and there, but I don't want to spoil these. Some might want to go watch them again. Some might want to go watch them for the first time. I don't want to give you too much of a synopsis. But however, once again, if there's any other anime couple I might have overlooked or any of your favorites you might want me to go take a smoke and take smoke and stare at, you're more than welcome to hit us up on hit us up on Instagram on the Fat Dabs in the Morning page. You're more, more than welcome to hit us up on the Anchor. You're more than welcome to hit us up on Facebook as well. But it's trading post. The trading post always has room for more to, one more to join the sesh. Slide on through to the island sometime. Come on, bring a smoke. Come have a smoke with your folks. Don't ask about Tom Nook, though. Later, folks. Yeah, for it now. I'm going to let this run out. Let it ride.